Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. I want you to turn to John chapter 7. We have been spending great time in the Gospel of John, and we are not going to deviate from that. We are going to walk it all the way out verse by verse until the very end. But I want us to look at something today that is alarming at any rate. It is alarming when we read it in the pages of Scripture, and it is alarming for us to see it in our culture, in our society today. In today's message, we will be exploring the signs that you are on the road to rejecting Christ. Um, many people are on this road and they are completely unaware of it. Uh, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were on this road and they were unaware of it. In fact, we're going to see that they were very sincere in thinking that they understood everything when they were completely blind to the things of God. We can see that this road of rejection could speak to the nations because we know that entire nations could be on the road of rejecting Christ as we are in fear for our own country at this time. We also are going to see that more specifically, because each nation is always made up of the specific individuals, we're going to see that this is a warning to the individuals. Individuals in our culture who could be on the road to rejecting Christ. And we're going to see from the example of the Pharisees that there is something that is in common with all of the signs that you will find on this road of rejection. And that thing that is in common is the lack of regard and respect toward God and His inerrant and infallible Word. There will be on this road of rejection signs that indicate that you are rejecting or you have a lack of respect for God and His Word. In fact, Alistair Begg said this, he said, in the Scriptures we meet Christ who is the very living Word of God. In the Scriptures, we meet Christ. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, I assure you of this, we see Christ. And in seeing Christ, we see the very living Word of God. So when a person or a nation begins to question or even attack the authority and the nature and the inerrancy of God's Word, they are treading on thin ice. The reason being is because they are not just rejecting man or man's ideology or man's philosophy. They are rejecting Christ Himself. It is no coincidence that when John started this Gospel, remember way back in 1-1, how many of you have been here the whole time? You remember 1-1 where John started this Gospel? He said in the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He established that fact early on so that we could take it all the way through our journey through this Gospel that Christ is the very Word of God. That when Christ speaks, 
God speaks. When we read it in these pages of Scripture, it is the very spoken, authoritative Word of God. We know this. In verse 14 of chapter 1, John then goes on to establish this fact a little further. And he says this, in case you were wondering. The Word, Logos, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so what we're going to find when we begin our text here in John chapter 7 is the very Word of God is dwelling in the midst of these Pharisees. And they are at every turn showing a lack of regard and respect for the authority of the Word of God. They question everything that Jesus has said. They question everything that Jesus has done. We know this rejection of the Word inevitably leads to judgment from God toward unrepentant and unbelieving sinners. Because it is the unrepentant and the unbelieving sinners who reject the Word of God, and in rejecting the Word of God, they reject the truth of Jesus Christ. And rejecting the truth of Jesus Christ, they reject the very Word of God. And so we look at this text today so that some who are in their sin and in their unbelief, so that today they may trust by faith in Christ, the incarnate Word of God, who came to set sinners free. That they may trust by faith that He is who the Scriptures declare that He is. That they may trust by faith that He is who He declared that He is. That they may trust by faith that He is who the Father even declared that He is. They would trust in Him. Receiving forgiveness of sin. Leading to repentance. And eternal life in Christ and Christ alone. So as we read John chapter 7, I want to set the stage for you all the way back in 7 verse 32. The Pharisees sent out a detachment of the temple guard. And they sent out the, this detachment of the temple guard to seize Jesus and arrest Him. They have tried to seize Jesus multiple times to no avail. They send out the temple guard saying, these guys obviously are trained and know what to do. Now we find ourselves here in chapter 7, verse 45, reading the account of when the temple guard returned back to the Pharisees. Let's read that together, verse 45. It said, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Verse 46, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in Him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, if you'll remember in John chapter 3, we see that account. He had gone to Jesus earlier and he was one of their own number. He was one of the Pharisees who went to Jesus at night. He asked in verse 51, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing Him to find out what He is doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come 
out of Galilee. Look into it and you will find a prophet does not come out of Galilee. I want to proclaim to you today as we look at this text that these Pharisees, because only time is going to prove it in Scripture, these Pharisees were on the road to rejecting Christ. And on the road to rejecting Christ, we are going to be able from this text to gather three signs that always accompany those who are on the road to rejecting Christ. And we see that first sign in the first few verses, verses 45 through 47. And it's this, that if someone is on the road to rejecting Christ, number one, if you're taking notes, write this down, they diminish the authority of God's Word. They diminish the authority of God's Word. Look at verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? And it says, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. The Pharisees then respond to them. They simply testify, we have never heard anyone speak with such authority. Now, that was offensive to the Pharisees because they love to pride themselves in their authoritative speech. And they said, we've never heard anyone speak like this. Or we can immediately go back to when Jesus was 12 years old in the temple and they were listening to this young boy teach and they realized then that he had authority to which they had not yet ever seen. Why did he speak with such authority? Well, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, it is the same authority that said, let there be light. And there was light. The same God who spoke everything into existence is now speaking to the temple guard. And they said, we don't know what to tell you. All we can tell you is we have never heard anyone speak like this man. So offended as they were, the Pharisees then reply in verse 47, you mean he has deceived you also? Oh, you've fallen into his scheme. You've fallen into his deceptive trap. We see that when someone is on the road to rejecting Christ, they always diminish the authority of the Word of God, just as the Pharisees did here. They diminished the authority of the Word of God by questioning the authority of Christ and the authenticity of the claims by those who testified directly to the power by which Christ spoke. Because they were hearing the very Word of God. In fact, they went as far far as accusing the temple guard of falling under some type of seduction to some type of deceiver. We know this is the same group of people who are going to call Jesus Beelzebub. And they're going to, to accredit the things of God to Satan himself. And now they're accusing him here of being a false teacher, and a blatant liar, diminishing the authority of God's Word that has been presented unto them. How did they do this? How does the unbeliever who is on the road to rejecting Christ, how does he diminish the authority of God's Word? Write this down. Number one, by rejecting the truth of Jesus. By rejecting the truth of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 tells us this, that in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times in various ways. Verse 2 says, but in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. Here the very Son of God is proclaiming truth and they are actively rejecting the truth 
of Jesus. They rejected the truth that He spoke when He preached. John chapter 3, back in our study in John, we learned this in verse 32. It says, He testifies to what He has seen and heard, but no one accepts His testimony. Referencing Christ. It goes on, the man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. And the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. He is specifically talking about rejecting the truth and the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you reject the truth and the testimony of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God remains on you. If you surrender to the truth that Jesus preached that He truly is the Son of God who came to rescue sinners of which I am the worst from our sin, if we truly believe that by faith that is marked by our life of repentance and obedience to Him, I assure you of this. He says this, those who believe will have eternal life. And those who reject will face God's eternal wrath. The Pharisees were here and they were diminishing the authority of God's Word by rejecting the truth of Jesus. They rejected the truth that He spoke, but they also rejected the testament that He showed. Back in John chapter 5, we saw this as they rejected the testimony of Christ. Verse 36, it says, I have testimony weightier than that of John for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing. Jesus draws their attention to the things that He has been doing. He has been performing miracles. He has been turning water into wine. He has been healing the sick. And here He is being thrown into question by the Pharisees. He says, and that which I am doing. And this, this testifies that the Father has sent me. Verse 37 of John 5. And the Father who sent me has Himself testified concerning me. You have never heard His voice nor seen His form. Nor does His Word dwell in you. For you do not believe the One he sent. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about Me. Look what Christ says. All the Scriptures that you are studying testify to My truth. They give testimony of Me. They are the testament of who I am. The prophets have declared what I'm going to do when I hit the scene. I'm here on the scene. I am doing this. Yet you still do not believe. He says in verse 40, Yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. Why? Because they diminished the authority of God's Word. Though they knew the Word of God, though they had seen the Word of God, though Jesus spoke the Word of God, though Jesus produced the evidence of what the prophet said He would look like according to the Word of God, they still diminished the authority of God's Word by rejecting the truth of Jesus Christ. Isn't it sad that many today reject that same truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, and they do it by diminishing His words and His works. Right? Oh, that's not true. That's just written by a bunch of crazy men thousands of years ago. Yeah, who happened to all have the same theme. Isn't that interesting? Who happened to get hundreds upon hundreds of prophecies about Christ exactly right. Isn't that a big coincidence? We could go on for days upon days. However, the secular viewpoint has no argument to the authority of the Word of God. All they can do is try to diminish the Word of God and dismiss who Jesus really is. They diminish His Word, the authority of His Word, by rejecting the truth 
the truth of who Christ really is. Secondly, they diminish the authority of God's Word by refusing the testimony concerning Jesus. Now watch this. The temple guards come back up in verse 45, verse 46. They simply say, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. No one's ever spoken the way that he has spoken. Now watch the attitude of those who are on the road to rejecting Christ. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? You mean you have fallen into this too like all the other, and we're going to see all the other low lives because they're going to refer to them in that manner when they get to the part about the mob who are believing this stuff? They refused direct testimony of those, now watch this, who they sent to arrest Jesus. They sent these men to arrest Jesus because they couldn't get them themselves. In fact, they just wanted to use them as a scapegoat, if truth be told. And when they report back, and obviously it was after some time because they were wondering, what, what's going on here? Why haven't you brought him back to us yet? And they simply said this, we've never heard anyone speak with such authority. You know what they're saying? He spoke with the authority of the Word of God. And they said this, oh, have you fallen into that trap of deception, you weak-minded people? They refused the testimony concerning Jesus. Isn't that what we see so many times in our society? When we, from a compassionate place, try to teach others about the truth of Christ so that they can find hope in redemption in Christ alone? They view us as the enemy? No, all we're saying is He is the very Word of God who speaks the very Gospel who actually is the only Gospel who saves men from their sin. And here they are acknowledging the authority of God's Word and the Pharisees refusing their testimony. They refuse to accept Christ at any level as anything other than a deceiver as evident by their claim. And we know this. We live in a world today where many refuse to acknowledge the obvious works of Jesus Christ. Some of them have seen those obvious works in your life. They take note that you're different. And if you're in Christ, you will be. Because you will be a new creation. They take note of that. And they might even ask you, what's different about you? And when you begin to tell them the truth, the absolute truth, that the Word of God has set you free from your sin and the evil that once held you captive, when you go to share that, at that point, your testimony is no longer valid. The moment that you mention Jesus and His authority... Everything that they have seen God produce in your life is no longer valid. They refuse to accept Christ and anything that He has done. They accept Him only as a deceiver. We see this in the attitudes of the Pharisees here in John chapter 7. We see this in the attitudes of many people in the culture that we live in today. So we see the first sign. Pay attention to that sign. The first sign on the road to rejecting Christ is to diminish the authority of God's Word. Secondly, we see this. We see the next sign that will be present is that they dismiss the ability of God's Word. They dismiss the ability of God's Word. Verse 48 says this, No. They ask the question, Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in Him? Verse 49, No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on 
them. So these men return to the Pharisees and they say he's spoken with authority that we have never seen. To which they reply, you must be deceived too. And then in verse 48, they ask this question. Have any important people believed? Have any of us believed in Jesus? They weren't saying this because they were interested if anyone had believed among their numbers. They were saying this because they obviously thought this, that if Jesus was going to reveal Himself, if the Messiah was going to reveal Himself, He was going to reveal Himself to them first. Not to a bunch of commoners out in the streets. And especially not to a bunch of dirty fishermen from Galilee. And so they asked the question, have any of the rulers, the Pharisees, accepted Him? No. But only this mob that knows nothing of the law. Only these uneducated, ignorant, irreligious people. Isn't that what the educated, secular world thinks of us. You were just ignorant to believe the Word of God and to believe that 2,000 years ago, a Jew over on the other side of the earth died in your place to rescue you from sin. That He came as the very Savior, the Son of God, God incarnate to this earth. The world looks at us because they are on the road to rejecting Christ as if we are just Ignorant. Because they don't understand faith at all. They definitely don't understand saving faith. They dismiss the ability of God's Word to set the captives free. They looked at this situation. They said the only people who will ever believe in this guy are not even of the same status as us as religious leaders. The unbelievers always dismiss God's Word in this way. Why? Number one, because of their intellectual arrogance. Their intellectual arrogance. Verse 48, they said this, no, but this mob that knows nothing of the law. You know what they were saying? We know everything of the law. You know nothing of the law. You can't get it. You don't get it. We are above you. You are below us. Therefore, their testimony wasn't valid at all. They dismissed the ability of God's Word Because when Jesus spoke, the temple guard understood it, and they understood that He spoke with authority. And they dismiss the ability of God's Word to set even the most simplistic sinner free. Here they are, because of their own intellectual arrogance, looking down on a group of people who they ought to be loving. They thought they were so far above everyone else in their knowledge and in their understanding that surely when Messiah came, that they'd be the first to know. That they would be the first to get it. However, they were missing the point that God reveals Himself to who He desires, when He desires, and how He desires. In fact, the Apostle Paul gives testimony of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. When he says this, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Say what I was when I was called. A rotten No good for nothing, wretched sinner. That's what I was when I was called. He says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble of birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? Watch this. So that no one may boast before Him. Verse 30, it is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus. Because of Him. Because of His grace. Because of His mercy that He showed you that you didn't deserve. It is because of Him who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He is our righteousness. He is our holiness. He is our redemption. That is our only hope. Our only hope is in Christ. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. We have the opposite here. We have the intellectually arrogant Pharisee boasting in their own status, ignoring the truth. Because of their own intellectual arrogance, they were dismissing the ability of God to save who He desires to save. They put their own insight and their own intellect and their own intelligence above the authority of the Word of God. Please don't fall into this trap. Many today, many religious circles, they dismiss the ability of the Word of God because of their human intellect and understanding. They think they know more than God. They are too smart for their own good, as we would say. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says it like this. He says in verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. What a description of the arrogance of the unbeliever. Though they claim wisdom, they are truly fools. And why are they fools? Because they suppress, if you read Romans chapter 1 and the verses prior to 21, because they are suppressing the truth of the Word of God. The things that are obviously true in creation. They are suppressing those things by their own arrogance and their own intellect. It's a mark of an unbeliever who's dismissing the ability of God's Word because of their intellect, because of their arrogance. And secondly, because of their self-righteous attitudes. Not only do they dismiss the ability of God's Word because of their intellectual arrogance, they also dismiss the ability of God's Word because of their self-righteous attitudes. Verse 49, we see this so clearly. They say, but this mob knows nothing of the law. There is a curse on them. What a self-righteous attitude. Guess what? There was a curse on the Pharisees who just proclaimed that as well. You can go all the way back to the garden and see that the curse of sin came in with the fall of man. And these Pharisees were under the same curse that they were accusing the mob of being under. They were accusing them of being under a curse without recognizing that they're under the same curse of sin. And they need a Redeemer as well. And the Redeemer is revealing Himself to them actively right now. And they are walking down the road of rejection. Why? Because they're arrogant in their intellect and they're self-righteous in their attitude. They had no need for Jesus. Do you see that there? We already know everything. 
What do you mean this guy spoke with authority that you've never seen? You've heard us speak, and we've got it all figured out. We know the law. You know nothing. Oh, and they love to keep them ignorant. They love to keep them scripturally ignorant. Because they themselves weren't truly enlightened to the truth. Because of their self-righteous attitude, they dismissed the ability of God's Word. They were deceived in their own sinful hearts, believing somehow that they were in some way spiritually superior to the lesser people of the mob. When you see them refer to them as the mob, they were referring to them as a lower class. Because what has happened in the Pharisees and in the time of Christ, what has happened is in their, again, arrogant intellect and their self-righteous attitude, they had raised themselves to a higher level and a higher status to which they could put themselves on a pedestal and look down upon other people. Jesus rebuked them and saying to them that you are nothing but whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but inside you are dead. There is nothing inside of you but dead men's bones. Here they are, dismissing the ability of God's Word to reach out and to touch the commoner, the simpleton, the uneducated, the unlearned. Oh, I love when we read about the disciples in Acts. Folks took note. What did they take note of them? That they were unlearned and uneducated. But then what does it say? But they had been with God. The Word of God raised them up with a wisdom that the world did not understand. And here we have the religious Pharisees and their self-righteousness dismissing the ability of God's Word to change a man, to change a life, to make someone something that they never could have been on their own. Righteous, holy, complete, and wise in Christ Jesus. We see that the second sign is they dismiss the ability of God's Word. Those who are on the road to rejecting Christ diminish the authority of God's Word. They dismiss the ability of God's Word as many are doing today. Many of you will sit here in just a moment. and You will say this in your own mind. There's no way that God forgive me for all the wrong that I have done. And you will, by that attitude, your own arrogant intellect, think that you know more than God when God's Word clearly says that He will forgive you of all your sin. No matter what it is, no matter where you've come from, no matter how many detestable things that you have done, I assure you of this, if He saved sovereignly the murderous Saul who became the Apostle Paul who wrote three quarters of the New Testament, He can save you this morning. Cry out to Him. And see that He is faithful to do everything that He has promised in His Word to do. And that is to save even the most wicked and vile sinner. You know how I know that? Because I'm Him. And if He saved me, I assure you of this. He'll save you this morning. Don't be that person who's on the road to rejecting Christ who is now dismissing the ability of God's Word. Because you wouldn't forgive yourself. Forgiving yourself has nothing to do with it. Aren't you thankful that God forgives us even when we can't forgive ourselves? These folks were dismissing the ability of God's Word. The ability of God's Word to open the eyes of the lost. To quicken their dead spirits that they might believe. 
And thirdly, as we continue in this text, we see this in verse 50 through 52. We see that they distort the accuracy of God's word. I want you to pay attention to this one. Because it's happening in our society, in our culture, and in so called churches all of the time. They distort the accuracy of God's word. These Pharisees here are beginning to distort accuracy. Why? Why do men distort the accuracy of the Word of God? It's so that they can twist it. So that they can tweak it. So that it matches their desires in what they want God to say or how they want God to act and or react. They twist the Scriptures to fit their agenda. And don't we know there's a lot of that going on in the unbelieving world. By doing this, what you will find is they teach inaccurate information concerning God's Word. And when you teach inaccurate information concerning God's Word, you lead yourself and those who are listening to you down a path of confusion and down a path of unbelief and ultimately rejection of Christ. That's why the Word of God is very clear that we are to be diligent in studying the Word of God. Paul tells Timothy and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the Word of truth. We ought to correctly handle the Word of truth. Not to try to fit it and twist it into our already preconceived ideas. But to see the Word of God as it is. The authority from God that changes our lives. Justifying us. Sanctifying us giving us the promise of glorification ultimately one day in His presence forever. But many distort the accuracy of God's Word. These unbelievers in this text were doing it. The Pharisees distorting it. Watch what they say. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their number, he was a Pharisee. He asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? Here's the first way that the unbeliever who is on the road to rejecting Christ, here's the first way that they distort the accuracy of the Word of God. Write this down. Through purposely ignoring absolute truth. Nicodemus calls them to account here. How does he do it? He asks a rhetorical question. And he asked a rhetorical question because he knew everyone in that group that he was addressing knew the law. In fact, they had it memorized. And he knew that they were totally ignoring it. So he asked that question. He says, is there anything in our law? Anything at all? That condemns someone without first hearing them? To find out what's going on? What they're doing? Nicodemus called them to account with the truth of the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 16 says this, And I charge you, judges, at that time, hear the disputes between your brothers and judge fairly, whether the case is between brother Israelites or between one of them and an alien. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will Here. We go all the way back to Moses, and Moses is commanding them. Here's how things are going to happen. Here's how judgments are going to be made. People will have the right, according to the Scriptures, 
to be heard when they are accused. Exodus chapter 23, we see it again. Verse 6, do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death for I will not acquit the guilty. This is from God's Word and they all knew the absolute truth of God's Word, but these men were purposely ignoring it. Why? Because they were on the road to rejecting Christ. And if they weren't to acknowledge it, they would have to hear Christ according to the law. They didn't want to do that. Nicodemus calls them to account. He calls them to the account of the fact that they are distorting the absolute truth of the Word of God by ignoring it. They intentionally disregarded truth as if it didn't apply to them. Isn't that what people love to do today? Thou shalt not steal, but I really want something. Thou shalt not have any gods before me, but I really like this thing more than I love God. Thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain, but you say the words that you say as if it's not absolute truth. Thou shalt not murder, or covet, or commit adultery. We know the Decalogue. We know the Ten Commandments. We know the law of God. They did too. Then some. They not only had Deuteronomy and Exodus, they had the rabbinical law. Did you know this? In their rabbinical law, the laws that the additional laws that they had set up for themselves. Guess what? In their own laws, the accused had the right to be heard. And Nicodemus says, "Is there anything in our law that's forbidding us to hear him?" You know what he wanted to know? I want to hear some of this authority that these temple guards say that he speaks with. Nicodemus had already had a conversation with him. He already knew. What Jesus said. He knew that Jesus spoke with authority when He said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. He understood this. He knew that if He could get Jesus in the presence of these Pharisees and they would open their mind to the truth, they could not deny the truth. They wanted nothing of it. They purposely ignored absolute truth. And they purposely ignored absolute truth in a similar way that they did in Hosea. And Hosea the prophet spoke to Israel. He was inspired by the Lord, speaking for the Lord. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, speaking of the priests, it says, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. The priests weren't doing their job. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. You think that the Lord doesn't take His Word very seriously? You might want to read that again. Speaking to the priest there in Hosea's day, was speaking judgment upon them because they were acknowledging the word of God or not acknowledging the word of God and they were keeping it from the people. They were keeping the people from the truth. They were distorting the accuracy of God's word. They were doing this through purposely ignoring the truth that they knew was absolute. Now, not only did they do that, these who were on this road Rejecting Christ, distort the accuracy of God's Word through purposely ignoring absolute truth, but through presupposing inaccurate truth. What I mean by presupposing inaccurate truth is this. Many people read the Bible like this. They think they know what they already want to believe. And so they approach the Bible already having decided what it is that the Bible says. 
And then when you read the Bible like that, you can cram it and twist it and force it in any way you can so that it will maybe seem to say what you want it to say. Now, you're going to have to take things out of context. You're going to have to rearrange things. You're going to have to take things out of their proper and true meaning so that you can make it fit. But I promise you, there are people who build so-called churches off of taking Scripture out of context to fit their agenda. This is what they were doing. They were presupposing inaccurate truth. What was that inaccurate truth? That Jesus wasn't the Christ. They had already made up their mind. They already had that presupposed idea in their mind. He's not the Christ. And we're going to prove that He's not the Christ with Scripture. Now, what's funny, when people do that from a position of presupposition where they say, I'm going to prove the Scripture wrong by what I think, oftentimes they play the fool. Watch how they play the fool. They said this. To Nicodemus, they, they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. That is their presupposed idea that there will not be a prophet who comes out of Galilee. Now we have to ask the question, were they right or were they wrong? I'll go ahead and answer for you. They were wrong on many fronts. They malign Nicodemus for having scriptural integrity, right? Because he says... Our law doesn't forbid Him to speak to us. We need to hear from Him. And they say, are you a Galilean too? They malign Him for wanting to do things biblically. Isn't that what the lost world does? They malign us for wanting to do things biblically. But then, they will, through presupposing things, buy into inaccurate truth. Watch how this happens here. They malign Nicodemus as he was trying to do the right thing according to the Word of God. And they insert their own presuppositions about Jesus. They misspoke. They misspoke in a heavy way here due to these presuppositions, these unbiblical notions, right? They said, there's no prophet that comes out of Galilee. There's not one. You won't find it. However, they didn't look too far, did they? I tell people all the time, you want to know the Word of God? Look in the Word of God. If you're sitting back saying you want to know the Word of God and you're not studying the Word of God, you don't want to know the Word of God. You want somebody to spoon feed you. If you want to know the Word of God, dig into the Word of God. Here's what they said. They said there's no prophet that comes out of Galilee. However, they forgot about Jonah. And in doing this, they revealed that they were condemning Jesus based on their presuppositions about Jesus. There was no scriptural basis for it. They said, Nicodemus, you look into it and see if it's, it's true that there is no prophet that comes from Galilee. However, Jonah did. He was from Gath-Hefer. You can go back and you can study it in Scripture. He's from Gath-Hefer, which is a tribal region of Zebulun when the tribes were allotted their area. It's in western Galilee. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25 declares this. Possibly, many scholars say this, also Hosea, and even possibly Nahum were also from the region of Galilee. So they misspoke based on their presuppositional ideas. They misspoke and said there's no prophet that comes out of Galilee, but they forgot about Jonah and potentially Hosea. And not only Hosea, but also, as we see, Nahum. They all from Galilee. Now another thing that they missed, they missed Isaiah and what Isaiah said. Isaiah mentioned something in Isaiah chapter 9. He prophesied a great light. And he prophesied that this great light would come out of Galilee. 
Well, you can read Isaiah by itself as they did and not pay attention to what was going on before their very eyes that this great light out of Galilee was standing there before them being accused of blasphemy, being accused of not observing the Sabbath by healing an invalid on the Sabbath, being accused of all sorts of things that weren't true. But the very light was standing before them. You say, well, how do you know that's the light of Isaiah? Matthew chapter 4. Scripture always comments best on Scripture, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, it says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Where? Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun. Sound familiar? Zebulun, the place that Jonah was from. And Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Here's what was said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The light of Isaiah chapter 9 had dawned. And He dawned in preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That light is the light of Jesus Christ. They are completely missing it. Why? Because they have already decided that Jesus is not the Messiah. We don't like it. We don't want it. But all evidence pointed to the fact that He is the Messiah. And so the only thing that they can do is they can take Scripture and they can bend it and twist it to say something that it really doesn't say. There's no prophet that comes out of Galilee. Really? I can tell you this. There was a prophet who came out of Bethlehem because the prophet said that he would. There was also a prophet who came out of Egypt. Why? Because the prophet said that he would. In fact, Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, we see this, that Herod annihilated all of the two-year-olds and downs, the infants of Jesus' day, trying to kill Jesus the Messiah and His family, then exiled to Egypt. And then they returned after this was over. And it says in Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, that this was to fulfill that the prophet would come out of Egypt. So he had to come out of Bethlehem, and he had to come out of Egypt, and he also had to come out of Galilee. Let me just tell you this, this might be just a coincidence, but Jesus Christ came out of all three. How does one man come out of all three places? In fact, there's a fourth. He came from the Father from heaven, and he came from Bethlehem, and he came from Egypt, and he came from Galilee. What they were doing is they were twisting the truth. They were misspeaking because of their presupposed ideas. Let me say this about Scripture. If you don't know, keep your mouth shut. Because ultimately, Scripture is going to make you play the fool. And that's what happened here. It distorted the accuracy of God's Word through presupposing inaccurate truth. Oh, don't we see that today? Many who are distorting the accuracy of God's Word because they think they already know. If you think you know, and it is not confirmed in the pages of these 66 books. You really don't know. You only think you know. That's why we must approach the Word of God not with our preconceived, presuppositional thinking. We must approach the Word of God as if it is absolute truth. And when we see it confirmed in the Word of God, we must then say, watch this, Fonzie, I know it's tough. I was... I was wrong. All the young kids said, what in the world is a Fonzie? 
But if you are on the path, on the road to rejecting Christ, what you will do is you will distort the accuracy of the Word of God through purposely ignoring the absolute truth of the Word of God and then through presupposing inaccurate truth upon the Word of God. I found this to be true. The people who want to argue the most about Scripture know the least about Scripture. But my grandma said, I don't care what your grandma said. This is what the Word of God says. We must value and get back to valuing the truth of the Word of God. Again, it was no accident that John starts this Gospel within the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here we have in chapter 7, the Word proclaiming truth again. And here is what is happening. Those who are on the road to rejecting Christ are diminishing the authority of the Word of God. They are dismissing the ability of God's Word to change whoever it is that God desires to change through the preaching and the teaching of that Word. And they are distorting the accuracy of God's Word. Inserting their own philosophy and their own ideology into it where it does not belong. What does this mean to us? It's a warning to us. Many of you could be on the road to rejecting Christ. You say, oh, I would never... But are you? Are you diminishing the authority of God's Word? When you read the pages of this book, is that the end of the discussion? Is that where the buck stops? Because I'm going to tell you this, this is where the buck stops with me. If I'm wondering about something that I'm not sure of, when I see it in Scripture and I am sure of it, the buck stops there. It's absolute. Are you trusting the authority of the Word of God? Are you like these guards who when they spent time with Jesus walked away said, never have I heard anyone who spoke like this. Do you read the Word of God and are you blown away that He would go to such great lengths to accurately reveal who He is to us? Wretched sinners who do not deserve a single thing from Him as I read the simple things of the Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. How? How? How could He love me? How could He die in my place to give me everlasting life where all I ever did was spit in His face? But here's the facts. It's true. Why is it true? Because the Word of God is absolute truth. And it is authority. And when it speaks, it is the Word of God speaking is not just a book. It's not written by men. Men would never put these stipulations upon themselves. This is the very Word of God. Well, the unbelieving diminish its authority. Why? Why would you diminish the authority of the Word of God? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word. And if you don't come by faith to Christ, you don't come, by, come at all to Christ. It is the very Word and the authority of the Word when it is spoken that God uses to open your blind eyes and to quicken your dead soul so that you can receive life and life eternal in Christ. Why would you diminish the authority of the Word of God? I'll tell you why. Because you're on the road to rejecting Christ. You want nothing of Christ. Christ is the light who exposes your darkness. I pray today that God would change your heart and that you would repent and turn to Him by faith and believe that He is truly the Son of God who came to rescue you from your sin. Others on this road dismiss the ability of God's Word. Again, I've already spoken to some of you. You've made lots of mistakes in life. 
I'll say this to you, bet you can't catch me. Bet you can't catch me. Want to compare lists? We'll compare lists. I've made them. But what I could not do in making all the mistakes and committing all the sin that I ever committed, I could not outrun the grace of God. I could not outspend the grace of God. His grace always was there to rescue me, to forgive me, to wash me, to cleanse me. Don't be that person who sits there today on the road of rejecting Christ, dismissing the ability of the Word of God to awake you today. To awake you to your need of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Your need for His forgiveness. Your need for His blood to wash over your wicked and detestable soul. Don't dismiss His ability. And thirdly, don't be the one who distorts the accuracy of God's Word to suit your life. Oh, we have enough of that going on in our culture, don't we? That's not really what God said. That's not really what God meant. Who are you to tell God what He meant when He said what He said? Because when God speaks, He speaks with supreme authority. It's not very hard to determine that He means what He says and He says what He means. Don't be that person on the road to rejecting Christ who distorts the accuracy of the Word of God. Well, I believe some of it's accurate. I believe some of it's true, but not all of it. You know what you're saying? You believe the parts you like are true. You believe the parts that you don't like are not. Isn't that what culture wants to do? And unfortunately, a false church that has been raised up in this culture wants to do. Let's only preach. Let's only teach. Let's only believe what we like. And let's throw the other stuff out. Let's let God be grace and mercy and love, but let's forget His justice, His wrath, and His indignancy towards sin. I would ask that you examine yourselves this morning. Are these signs present in your life? If they are, you could possibly be on the road to rejecting Christ. And I warn you of that today. That today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you bend your knee to who Jesus Christ truly is, to the authority who He is. He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords. He is the only Savior who can reconcile you to a holy God and forgive you of your sin. Bow down to Him today. Cry out to Him for mercy and grace and forgiveness. And be sure of this, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Spirit draws you out of darkness into light today, rejoice that He is graciously drawing you unto Himself today and proclaim that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, turning and leaving your life of sin and clinging to Jesus Christ as your only hope of forgiveness and eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to You thanking You for Your Word, thanking You that it is absolute truth. God, I pray for those who are in our midst this morning who could possibly be on the road to rejecting Christ. You would show them today their great need for You. That You would use the Word that has been preached today to shine light into their dark soul. To expose their darkness and to assure them of Your willingness to forgive them and to wash them and to cleanse them from their sin this very day. God, that they would turn by faith to Jesus Christ and Him alone receiving forgiveness of sin. And live a life marked with repentance and obedience that will mark the lives of those who truly believe. Lord, we ask that You be glorified as we yield to Your Holy Spirit. That Your will would be done this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281 281- 281 
689-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.